Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Today, in the United States, millions of families are sitting down at opulently appointed tables to eat a very large impractical bird together and probably have extraordinarily awkward family conversations. It's an American tradition. And if you live in the United States, you've probably heard the standard Thanksgiving story before. It goes like this. Back in 1620, a group of European religious exiles, known today as the Pilgrims, settled in what is now Massachusetts. Unfortunately, these pilgrims had no idea how to actually survive in the new land, and soon they were dying in numbers. In their first winter, in Plymouth Colony, only about half survived. Fortunately for the survivors, though, there was a local Native American named Squanto, who taught the pilgrims how to America. He taught them about planting maize, about agriculture, and about generally not dying. When the next harvest season rolled around in 1621, the Pilgrims, Squanto, and some of the other local Native Americans, they all had a big harvest party and gave thanks for surviving another year. Thanksgiving, everybody. As you can imagine, this standard narrative that shows up in elementary school textbooks is somewhat, um, oversimplified. We've already talked a bit about what life was like for early American settlers on this podcast, uh, back in episode 101 in our interview with Kara Helgren, which you should all go listen to if you haven't already. And today, I wanted to examine this story's deus ex machina, the guy who just shows up, who saves the day, the guy who has been the hero of countless elementary school Thanksgiving pageants and has appeared in innumerable dioramas, Squanto. Squanto was not just some Native American who happened to be walking through Massachusetts and then decided to help out a bunch of starving white people. No, there are complexities to this story. There are depths that get glossed over in the standard narrative. There are more details than are often talked about. And today, I'm going to talk about him. For starters, his proper name was not Squanto. That is a shortening of his name to Squantum, which means something like the wrath of God, heavenly wrath, divine wrath, that sort of thing. We're not sure if Tisquantum was a name he was given at birth, or if it was a nickname he had later, but it is what he called himself, so it's what I'm going to call him over the course of this show. And we're not sure when exactly Tisquantum was born, but we know that he was from a region called Patuxet in what is now modern Massachusetts, near where the pilgrims would later settle. His coastal village would have been a thriving community, near good fishing, uh, it would have been home to a few thousand people, and the Patuxet would have grown maize, much like many of the other people in the region. We are not sure when Tisquantum first came into contact with Europeans. We know that it wasn't with the pilgrims, but it was maybe, possibly, in 1605. So, this story may or may not be true, but it's possible that in 1605, Tisquantum was captured by an English captain named George Weymouth. Weymouth later took him to England and delivered him to an English aristocrat named Ferdinando Gorges. Gorges was not a colonist himself. He never went to the New World, but he was a major investor in the future of English colonization. And he was very interested in having a Native American as a slave because he could teach the guy English in hopes that he would be an interpreter on future missions. 
and, while this was supposedly going on, Tisquantum was given the name Jeremiah Stein, which, you know, is something of a downgrade from literally being called the Wrath of God. Now, this whole narrative about Tisquantum getting captured in 1605 by Weymouth, and later on somehow returning to the New World, it is suspect. It rests on a single account that was written 50 years after Weymouth was abducting Native Americans. We know that Weymouth was abducting and selling Native Americans, but the name Tisquantum isn't mentioned in a lot of the early accounts. It's only mentioned in a later account, so it's entirely possible that this is all an embellishment made up after the fact. So this may or may not be Tisquantum's first encounter with Europeans, getting captured in 1605, getting sent to England, learning English, and somehow coming back. We do know, though, that in 1614, Tisquantum was acting as a guide of sorts for John Smith, either because he sailed back to England with Smith, if you believe the Weymouth story, or because Tisquantum and Smith met up in New England, and yes, that John Smith, the Pocahontas one. So Tisquantum, whose name means Divine Wrath and is totally metal, was hanging out with the historical figure John Smith, who has probably the most boring and generic name of all time. Quite the odd couple there. In 1614, John Smith left Massachusetts, went up to Maine, and he left behind one of his subordinates, Thomas Hunt. And that same year, Tisquantum got captured, or recaptured, depending on what version of this narrative you want to believe, who was, apparently, without his boss's permission, trying to set up a miniature slave trade in Native Americans. Tisquantum and about two dozen other prisoners soon found themselves bound for Spain. Apparently, Hunt's crew told the natives that they wanted to give them a tour of the ship, and that tour turned into a trap. Um, that little detail right there is why I'm a bit skeptical of the Weymouth story. I think that if Tisquantum had actually been a slave earlier in his life, he probably wouldn't have been duped like that. But it is still possible that his first contact with Europeans was in 1605, not 1614, but we're not sure. Thomas Hunt's actions of deceiving and capturing uh, the local population, by the way, did not endear native New Englanders to incoming Europeans. Uh, for years, the original residents of Massachusetts regarded newcomers as a threat because of what Hunt did, and for good reason. So, Hunt and his ship and his crew and his slaves, they get to Malaga in Spain, and Hunt's plans for getting rich on the slave trade hits something of a snag. A group of anti-slavery Franciscan friars found out that he was, well, doing slavery, and they ended up taking into Squantum and the other Native Americans, probably trying to convert them to Christianity in the process. Some narratives that you'll read of Tisquantum's life say that at this point he did convert to Christianity, but we have no way of knowing that's actually true. That's complete conjecture. Tisquantum somehow talked to various Franciscan friars into letting him leave. Uh, he eventually went to England, worked for a shipbuilder for a while, took part in an expedition in Newfoundland, went back to England, and then met up with John Smith again, and in 1619 finally made his way home. I also kind of wonder what the conversation between Tisquantum and John Smith would have been like when they were discussing Thomas Hunt and Thomas Hunt, John Smith's former subordinate, trying to catch slaves when his boss wasn't looking. 
But to Squantum, at this point, he's crossed the Atlantic multiple times. He's been a slave. He's been freed. He's hung out with monks. He's built ships. He's learned new languages. And he's probably seen more of the world than most people ever would have in the 1600s. And he hasn't even met up with the pilgrims yet. This is what I really want to drive home to you about this guy. There's a huge backstory to him that never, ever gets talked about. Disquantum eventually returned to his home, Patuxet. But when he returned, what he found was shocking. Where there previously would have been a thriving community, he found only devastation. His home had been destroyed by plague. We are not sure which disease. A plague brought by the same foreigners that had enslaved Disquantum and were now coming to live in his homeland. Imagine for a second how that must have felt. To have been captured, to have been in the bowels of a ship, shackled as a slave, to have been sold, to have been rescued, to have gone to England, to have gone to the icy shores of Canada, to have gone to England once again, to be so far removed from your home. Then, finally, finally, years later, returning. And when you do, you find death. And to make it all worse, Tisquantum got captured again after returning home. But this time, he was captured by other Native Americans, the Wampanoag, neighbors of the Patuxet. And after they captured him, it didn't take the Wampanoag long to figure out what they had. This Paxutet guy they'd found? Well, he could be valuable. He could be a translator. He could be a diplomat. He could be a cultural liaison. They suddenly had somebody whom they could put to use in their dealings with these new European settlers. And the Wampanoag really had to deal with these new European settlers. At the time, the leader of the Wampanoag, Massasoit, was having a bit of trouble. The plague I mentioned earlier, that had ripped through the various Wampanoag communities, greatly compromising their numbers and therefore their political position in the area. Meanwhile, their local rivals... The Narragansett were doing much better. The Narragansett had had less contact with the Europeans. Therefore, they had been less devastated by the disease. So the Wampanoag were suddenly outnumbered and threatened by their regional rivals. They needed leverage. They needed a new ally whose strength they could add to theirs. Well, hey, how about those kind of pathetic foreigners who just showed up? If the Wampanoag helped them out... They could solidify their relationship with the foreigners, bolster their own alliance's numbers, and suddenly look less weak when regarded by their rival, the Narragansett. And sure, the pilgrims were kind of these weird-looking pathetic people who were starving to death in the winter, but hey, the Wampanoag were in a bad way. They needed allies where they could find them. So, the Native Americans who helped the pilgrims weren't just helping because they were nice. This was politics at work. And these Wampanoag, they had just a person to help these poor, starving white people. They had the recently captured Disquantum. This multilingual Paxutet guy, well, he was uniquely positioned to communicate and deal with these Europeans. And with his help, the Wampanoag could secure an alliance that would help them fend off the Narragansett. The standard Thanksgiving story makes Squanto a Deus Ex Machina, but here... There was a lot more going on. So, after this, Tisquantum finally did what he was famous for. This is where he strides into that elementary school diorama. This is where he shows up to that fifth grade Thanksgiving pageant. 
Because he spoke English, he was able to instruct the pilgrims in planting maize so they could feed themselves, and he also taught them what other plants to grow with the maize so that the crops could complement each other. He also taught the pilgrims a trick of burying fish near the plants to act as fertilizer. That bit right there, planting fish with the maize to fertilize the maize, that is often played as something that the Native Americans did to encourage their crops to grow, but it is also something that happened in Europe. So, the buried fish thing could have been a local Native American technique. It could have also been something that Tisquantum picked up on his European travels. We're not sure. He could have, rather oddly, been in the position of transmitting one European fertilization technique to another group of Europeans who, well, just weren't that good at agriculture. And you know, sometimes I feel really bad for the pilgrims. They seem to have had a whole lot of faith and fervor, but not a lot of, you know, knowledge. Apparently they didn't even bother to bring any livestock with them to Plymouth. Yeah, they got super lucky here. But after the events of what we now call the first Thanksgiving, it seems that things eventually broke down between Tisquantum and Massasoit, the leader of the Wampanoag. Apparently, for reasons unknown, Tisquantum became a marked man and ended up having to be sheltered from Massasoit in Plymouth Colony. That sheltering of Tisquantum by the pilgrims from Massasoit was a source of tension between the Wampanoag and their new European allies. And we're not entirely sure how Tisquantum died, but it was in 1622. Perhaps it was sickness. Perhaps he was killed by a rival who wanted to eliminate this important liaison between the Wampanoag and the pilgrims. We just don't know. But I don't think there's any real mystery as to why Squanto has remained an integral part of the Thanksgiving story. With Squanto and other Native Americans dining with the pilgrims, we can see the kind of pluralistic, multi-ethnic, multi-religious modern America that many of us still want to be proud of. We can see an embryonic version of the America that we hope to believe in. Unfortunately, though, the real story papers over the far more complex tale of slavery, disease, colonization, and political maneuvering. That is all gone when you just look at an elementary school diorama. That is all gone when you see simply a pat illustration of pilgrims and Native Americans all sitting down to have the first Thanksgiving together. The real tale of Tisquantum gets lost in the mythology that we apply to Squanto. This podcast is 100% independent, so go to weirdhistorypodcast.com, sign up for a monthly donation. That would be excellent and amazing of you. Uh, also go to iTunes, give us stars, reviews, that sort of thing. That really helps out other people discover the show. Uh, I am on social media, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. Also, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Thank you guys very much for listening. Talk to you next week. And once again, happy Thanksgiving. Bye. <music>